Good morning. We want you to know that we're here to help meet your spiritual needs. If you have a Bible question or would like to enroll in our six-lesson Bible correspondence course, we encourage you to call us at 1-800-380-LTBS. That's 1-800-380-5827. While preparing this message, I stumbled across an AP release from Thibodeau, Louisiana. It went like this, quote, a man who told police that God had told him to walk the streets naked to save his soul has been arrested. It's true that God has plans for you, but this is not one of them. Nehemiah, though, on the other hand, had a real mission from God. After surveying Jerusalem, Nehemiah says in Nehemiah 2:17, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. We will look at this great lesson in courage, leadership, and teamwork. But first, enjoy our song. Nehemiah presents us with a great lesson on the difference one man can make for the kingdom when he makes a personal commitment to give his all for the church of Jesus Christ. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 reads, The words of Nehemiah the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chislu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the citadel, it is the 20th year of the reign of the Persian king. Artaxerxes, it's 446 B.C. 
in the month of Chislu, which is our November or December. Nehemiah was a young Jewish man of noble blood who was serving in exile as a cupbearer to the king. The ter term cupbearer sounds like a menial job of little significance, but that was not the case. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says that the cupbearer was an officer of high rank at ancient oriental courts whose duty it was to serve the wine at the king's table. On account of the constant fear of plots and intrigues, a person must be regarded as thoroughly trustworthy to hold this position. He must guard against poison in the king's cup and was sometimes required to swallow some of the wine before serving it. His confidential relations with the king often endeared him to his sovereign and also gave him a position of great influence. So, early on, Nehemiah was recognized as a young man of sterling character. His parents were likely well thought of by the Persian ruler, and they too may have held significant positions in the palace. Nehemiah had to be a man with a positive attitude, a man that was a joy to be around. The king wouldn't put up with a servant who was arrogant or had a chip on his shoulder. Neither would he tolerate a slacker or a rabble-rouser. Apparently, life must have gone pretty well for Nehemiah as a servant in this prominent position, but on this particular occasion, he receives bad news from home folks who are visiting from Judah. Nehemiah 1.3 says, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. This must have hit Nehemiah like the events of 9-11 hit us. Only in Nehemiah's case, this was the sacred city of God's people, the Jews. The tragic condition of Jerusalem in shambles is a fitting symbol of the state of God's people at the time, a people in disarray. A Christian reading this story today can't help but make comparisons to the state of Christianity and to the state, perhaps, of his own congregation. We get a glimpse into what made Nehemiah such a special man in verse 4. So it was, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The crisis in Jerusalem cut Nehemiah to the heart. Now, remember, all was quite well for Nehemiah at the king's palace. The dismal state of Jerusalem did not directly affect his life. But then again, this was God's city that belonged to God's people. And since he so loved God, he was devastated. We need more men and women like Nehemiah who are deeply affected by the state of the kingdom, the church, and not merely their own physical comfort and financial welfare. How much do you care about the church? Does it trouble you when you see the walls broken down and the gates burning, so to speak? Or is your life just about you? As long as your life is rolling along okay, do you even care how the church is doing? Does it bother you when Christians turn their back on the Lord or forsake the assembly? Does it hurt you when you see people giving the Lord less than their best? Does it affect you when you see Christians dragging themselves to services, mumbling their way through the song service, spacing out during the lesson, or catching up on the sleep lost from their big Saturday night? 
Does it trouble you when teachers, preachers come unprepared or disinterested even in their own message? Do you weep like Nehemiah to see the state of the kingdom, to see young people reject the gospel, to see Christians fall away? Do you agonize over young Christians marrying outside the faith? Nehemiah cared. Do you? Who cares? Does anyone even care anymore? The Holy Spirit gives us a view into the precious heart of this great man when he says in verses 5 through 11, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. For I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah hurt because he knew exactly what had happened. And he knew the solution. He had to come clean. He had to repent and confess of his wickedness. And so did God's people. Take a peek at how the attitude of the people of Jerusalem changed by the time we get to Nehemiah 9, verses 1 through 3. There we find that they spend three hours reading God's word. Then they spend three more hours confessing their sins and worshiping God. And you thought a 90-minute church service was too long. Nehemiah didn't let the troubles of life affect his work, but this latest news just tore him up. We learn in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, that the young cupbearer had never been sad in the king's presence. You know... What tears us up tells a lot about us. What mattered most to Nehemiah was clearly the kingdom of God. But next, in verse 2, the king asks, Nehemiah, what's wrong with you? Why do you look so down? Are you sick? Nehemiah knew it was a no-no to come before the king with a frown. And when he realized what he had done, the Bible says Nehemiah was sore afraid, but went on to explain fully why he was so upset. The king had such respect for Nehemiah that he asked him how he could help Nehemiah. Now don't miss this. After the king asked how he could help and before Nehemiah responded, the Bible says that Nehemiah prayed. Likely it was a brief prayer, but how many times could we have benefited by praying for wisdom and patience before speaking in a high-stress situation. I do that more these days and know it saved me a lot of grief. Nehemiah asked King Artaxerxes for leave to rebuild Jerusalem. Amazingly, the king not only granted him permission, but amazingly supplied him with the timber to rebuild and then gave him an army escort to Jerusalem. Consider, though, the incredible faith of Nehemiah. 
Remember, he's a cupbearer, not a contractor. As far as we know, he knows nothing about construction, and yet he's going to take on this mammoth task. Reminds me of David taking on Goliath. Only with God's help could it be done. This is no Pollyanna project. Not everyone is on board with Nehemiah's plan. Not everyone is cheering him on. Nehemiah 2.10 reads, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Strange, isn't it? That there are people like this. These men would not be harmed by Nehemiah helping his people, the Jews. Why be deeply disturbed by one man's action of compassion and concern on his people? But you know, the devil always has his detractors to array against the people of God and against the work of God. Satan is angered whenever we do all we can to build up Zion. The true people of God, however, will overcome their adversaries by faith. In Nehemiah 2, verse 17, the young cupbearer turned leader in Israel rallies the troops. He says, Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. It's time, he's saying, we were no longer a disgrace, a laughingstock. We are the people of God. Nehemiah was a great leader, but a great leader is no better than the people among whom he works. Thankfully, Jerusalem responded. Nehemiah 2, verse 18 tells us, And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. This is the secret of Nehemiah's success. And this is always the key in the Lord's work. The people realized that God's work is good work, a work into which they are willing to invest their hearts, minds, and bodies. The people are willing to work together as a team. People are willing to get their hands dirty. Are you one of those who say, let us rise up and build? Are you setting your hands to this good work like these people? Or are you just sitting on the sidelines as a spectator? Join in the work. You know, anymore, people have a warped view of Christianity. They treat the church like a pinata. They take a baseball bat, figuratively speaking, and beat the stuffing out of it. They treat the church as something that can be crushed into oblivion. They might as well take a pair of scissors and cut out the dozens of New Testament scriptures that speak of how special the church is. They want to just do their own thing. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And now, professing Christians demean and disavow the church. They treat the assembly of the church as worthless activity. When Hebrews 10, 25 says, Not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Do you care about the church like Nehemiah cared about Jerusalem. There needs to be a revival of Nehemiah-like zeal for the Lord's church. The enemies of God who were previously so disturbed now act, according to Nehemiah 2, 19, 
as if Nehemiah's project was just one big joke. The Bible says, They laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you were doing? Will you rebel against the king? Nehemiah would not be intimidated by ridicule any more than David was. Nehemiah answers, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. In Nehemiah chapter 3, we find the description of how closely and how diligently the people worked on the walls. After the enemies of God realized that they had not deterred God's people from the work, they became angry and more vocal. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes upon it, he will break down their stone wall. I like Nehemiah's response. It was simple. He prayed. Here again in Nehemiah 4, verse 6, is the key to success. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Pray and work. Pray and work. The people had a mind to work. Now in verse 7 and 8, as the enemies of God saw Nehemiah's incredible progress, they were very wroth and began planning to attack Jerusalem. If nothing else deters God's people, Satan will use evil men to fight directly against the church of God. Well, then fatigue set in among God's people. According to verse 10, Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. Word spread among the people of their enemies' intentions. Rather than throw in the towel, Nehemiah, fortified the wall with swords, spears, and bows, and pumped up the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. We need men like Nehemiah to constantly refocus the flock on our great purpose to get us through times of crisis by restoring our perspective. Read verse 15 through 18. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah, those who built on the wall and those who con carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. This passage typifies the life of the devoted Christian. This is how you stand up for Jesus, by constructive activity for the kingdom of God, worshiping God, growing in strength, avoiding temptation, encouraging other disciples, building Christian homes, rescuing the perishing, and seeking to bring back the strain. Keep your eyes open and your hearts tender. Look around. Wherever the walls weaken and the gates begin burning, we, 
not just the preacher, but all of us, roll up our sleeves and get to work. Notice, though, in response to the outside threat, with one hand they worked at construction, and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. Nehemiah went on to say in verse 20, The work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Their primary object was positive. They were rebuilding the walls. They had their trowel in one hand, but a weapon in the other. They didn't leave the work to go looking for a fight. But if the enemy attacked, they were ready to defend the walls. In the same way, God's people get no pleasure out of fussing or being contentious, but they must be instant in season and out of season, ready to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, 2 Timothy 4.2. They are set for the defense of the gospel, Philippians 1.17. They are prepared to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints, Jude 3. When the enemies of God's people saw the folly of a frontal assault and Nehemiah's ongoing progress, they resorted to a final tactic to overthrow the work. Nehemiah 6.2, That Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. The idea was, let's negotiate. Let's work through this. I love Nehemiah's response. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should I le let the work cease and come down to you? We cannot be open to compromise. The truth cannot be watered down. But they didn't give up. They sent four like messages to Nehemiah, but to no avail. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent a report suggesting that he knew Nehemiah was planning a rebellion against the king of Persia. Then he said, let's get together and talk about it. Nehemiah refused and sent word back saying, all of that is a big lie that you made up. Then he prayed for strength. Next in Nehemiah 6, 10 through 13, a man came to Nehemiah purporting to rescue him from assassination, urging him to run and hide with him. Nehemiah said no. Good thing he was sent as a trap by Nehemiah's enemies to undermine his leadership. Nehemiah and his devoted team never gave up and were rewarded for it, according to Nehemiah 6, 15 and 16. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month, Elul, in 50 and 2 days. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was wrought of God. We hope you'll stay with us. And we'll tell you how you can get a copy of this great message about Nehemiah right after our song.
we need people today it's obvious from this story who have the same kind of care and concern not just about their own personal welfare their own personal comforts but people who care about the people of god the kingdom of god the church of god how about you how about your commitment to the church are you attending church the bible encourages us more than encourages us commands us to assemble with the saints to remember the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ this morning i hope you will reconsider if you have not been attending church the importance of devotion to the cause of christ be a man be a woman like nehemiah was who is going to stand up for the kingdom of god thank you so much for joining us at let the bible speak we hope that the things that you have heard today when you've heard this message you've heard god speak to you through his word we encourage you to uh, go to the uh, website letthebiblespeak.com and um, watch videos of the program and also we encourage you to send in for a copy of or for our correspondence course and in these six lessons people have learned more than they've learned in a lifetime of attending Sunday school we hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our quest for truth in a world of religious confusion. Until then, goodbye and God bless.